Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're talking about the foundation of good practice. Welcome back, beautiful teachers. I hope you're having a wonderful week so far. Today we're going to be talking about what I call the foundation of good practice, and that is quite simply repetition. So what I'm sharing with you today is actually from our YouTube live show. So that's where it was originally recorded. You might have caught it there before, but it might be worth listening in again, even if you did. If you do want to join us on our weekly YouTube live show, our YouTube channel is at Colourful Keys. Now let's dive into this topic as shared on our YouTube live. Practice, practice, practice. We talk about it a lot, but that's because it's super important, right? So a little while ago, I did a presentation for Vibrant Music teaching members that was about 10 different stages of practice proficiency. And recently, I've been having some thoughts about one of those stages. But first, I just want to introduce you to those 10 stages in case you need a refresher or you haven't met them before. If you do have questions throughout, please feel free to add them into the comments so I can come back to them. So 10 stages of practice proficiency. The idea for this was to lay out a sort of pathway of how students go from being beginners, don't know anything about practicing an instrument, to really being people who are self-directed practicers, right? That's sort of our goal. And that's what we call proficiency. And I think in the beginning of my teaching, I didn't break this down enough. I just sort of almost hammered, tried to hammer home all of the elements we're talking about today. But over time, I've come to see this as a bit of a pathway. So the step, the first step for me with practice for my students is to build a practice habit. That is all I want in the beginning. And when I say it's all I want, I literally mean everything. When my students first start with me, I tell them and their parents, look, you have to fit in practice into your day every day or at least five days a week. I don't care how long it takes. Encourage your kid to play through the assignments inside the practice app or the ones that are tagged in their book, whatever system you're using. Encourage them to use that. But if they only do one thing one day, if it only takes one minute, that is better to me than them breaking the habit. So I put the habit above everything else in the beginning. And then hopefully a couple, three months in, they're starting to get a pretty reliable habit if I've got their parents on board with that. Then stage two is repetition. This is where they start thinking about just playing things more than once. 
Okay, so they have that habit. Now they need to get through all of their assignments and play them more than once. <laughs> okay, so it sounds like a very basic step, but I do think that's a separate step on the journey. Then we have focused repetitions for stage three. This is where they might be honing in on a specific part of the piece or even playing the whole thing, but with a specific goal. They're repeating it, but thinking about the dynamics or thinking about the rhythm or singing along. Something else is happening. It's not just, I'll play it three times from start to finish and that's the end. Then we have variety in stage four. So this is where they're trying different things in their practice. Maybe they're using some of our practice games. Maybe sometimes they sing instead of playing. Maybe sometimes they tap out the piece. And these could be prescribed things from the teacher. Or could it be that we just give them a mixed bag of things that they're able to explore? Then we have what I call limited diagnosis. So diagnosis based on the fact that I often talk about a practice doctor or practice physician. So limited diagnosis means the student can say, okay, my piece is too slow. So I'm going to use this tool, a metronome, to work on speeding it up. Or my piece is really uneven because I'm slowing down in the middle part for this bar. So I'm going to take that bar and work on just that. So they're starting to think more strategically, but within a limited view of what goes into a piece. In stage six, they're talking about wider diagnoses. So just a broader list of different strategies they can apply in different scenarios of things they need to work on in their pieces. Stage seven then, we're talking about standard practice learning strategies. So this is where a student isn't just diagnosing a problem after the fact or as they go through after the things have already started happening. They're really starting to think about how would I best approach this piece with a few basic strategies to learning them. Number eight then is teacher-assisted strategies, so a little bit more in depth, but the teacher is helping and guiding the student to figure out which one is appropriate. Number nine then, self-design strategies, so they're really starting to come up with their own ways of practicing. And number 10 is what we're calling proficiency, where they're very self-directed, they're figuring it out themselves, coming up with plans, and, you know, being dream students. Okay, so let me know if this pathway makes sense to you. This is something I laid out a while ago, and I still do agree with it. The thing that I've been coming to recently is that I, as a teacher, and our studio more broadly, have maybe been missing or not putting enough emphasis on stage two, which we'll remember was repetition. I don't think our students are getting early enough in their journey and enough emphasis, or they're not getting the importance, I guess, early on enough or in general, of just repeating things. So, do you think this is a problem with your students? Because that's the feeling I've been getting lately from my students is this is the area I need to improve upon right now. My students need to get that they have to repeat stuff. <laughs> Sounds so basic, but a lot of them, not just they need to get it, but I need to be consistent about making sure every student gets it. That's really what I'm after here. And that everyone gets it, you know, a semester or so into their lesson. that They really get this lands, this goes home with them that they get, I need to repeat things a bunch of times. And the reason I put emphasis on it that way is because beginner pieces, they often are only a page or two. So repeating the whole thing can actually get you pretty far. And it builds this foundation for what happens later, where we have to repeat certain sections or whatever, certain techniques, etc. But everything really does come back to repetition. They're not mindless repetition 30 times in a row. 
but we have to repeat stuff. We have to get enough reps in to build that muscle or that skill. Let me let you in on my little experiment that I've been doing lately and you can tell me what you think about it. I'm trying this just with a couple of students and I'm going to see how we go with it. And then maybe it's something I bring in more broadly or maybe it evolves. Basic strategy to get my students to start to focus on repetition is stickers. <laughs> Nothing revolutionary in that, but I'm getting the student to apply these themselves. So, and you may already do this. I, I'm not saying I totally made this up, but we get a sticker sheet like this, which is tiny little stickers. They're really small. If you look at my finger on one, it can cover it, right? So it's a really small one. So you can get like those little smiley faces. You could get just the colored dots. Talking about those small ones. So I'm still reserving the big ones for teachers as you pass this piece. But what we're doing with that, I'm just going to show you. I had a Masterwork Classics book here, so I'm going to show you based on that. Let's say my student was currently learning Hunting Horns and the Echo over here. I put this on the opposite page, okay? It's just a paper clip and a set of stickers. And I just ask them, the first week I give this idea to them. I just ask them, okay, every time you play this through once, any time you play it through once, I want you to put one sticker somewhere at the top of the piece here. Okay, so it's incredibly simple, I know. But we do that this first week and then they come back and guess how many stickers they have on it. A student who I know practices, like their parent holds them to their practice routine. I'm sure you can guess. It's five <laughs> because... I think I've talked to them enough about repetition. I think I've communicated that to their parents and the parents are very involved and all the things seem to be in place. They haven't really twigged it. <laughs> and I think this gives this physical manifestation of how many times are you actually getting through the piece? And is it enough? And when they come back with five, I say, okay, that's great. It looks like you practice every day. Now, every day you practice, you should be playing at least, let's say three times. So next week when you come back, I'm expecting to see 15 more stickers on this page. And that 15 makes their eyes go wide. <laughs> They've only been playing their pieces once a day. But it, it just clearly lands and they get, okay, she's really expecting me to play this a lot of times. And I know three times a day isn't even that much, right? But that's a starting point. So 15 in a week is a good start. And we can start to expand it from there or maybe this exercise will be enough that I can tell they're now repeating all their pieces enough times and we're sort of good to go and we don't need the sticker system. I'm not sure. As I said, this is an experiment. So let me know what you think about it. Now I know some of you are going to say, won't some of the students just put a bunch of stickers on the piece? And yeah, they might. You know, kids do test boundaries and that's fine. I'd say most of my students won't. I think a lot of teachers think more students are going to cheat than do. And I think as long as you don't give any kind of prize that is not connected to just learning the piece, you know, as long as you don't give out chocolates or big stickers for just getting 15 done or anything, trinkets, you know, I don't think there's much motivation to cheat. And if they do, if they come back with 20 stickers on the piece and they cannot play it at all, I would just have a simple conversation with them and say, okay, listen, I'm just going to try and unpack what's happening here because this piece looks like it's still pretty tricky to get through. So is it that it's really tricky? Is it that maybe you didn't do it as many times as this or you misunderstood the sticker system? So give them a little out of their lying because they don't want to feel like they're lying. So if they say, you know, if you give them that option of I didn't understand the system, 
fine. I won't call them out on it if they say that's what it is, because obviously they didn't understand the system. It's pretty simple. Or is it something else that's going on? And you might find that they really did play it 20 times and they find it really challenging. If they, if you think they're lying and saying, yes, I did, but it's really challenging, then just practicing it together, seeing how much progress you can make by playing it three times together, like working on it three times together and say, okay, well, that's come a long way. So can you do that every time you practice this week? We'll see where we get to. They probably won't lie again (laughs) and it'll probably be over. Look, Pam, this is an experiment. We're trying it with a few students, so I'll tell you their ages. One of our little guinea pigs is nine, one is 11, and another is 10, and another is just one more is six. Okay, those are the ones we're trying it on right now. With something like this, where it's not like tried and tested, and it's not something I'm ready to like publish a VMT or anything, not that I'd be publishing stickers, but you get what I'm saying. We will just test it in little sprinkles like that and see how it goes because we want to make sure there's no, you know, it's not going to be a disastrous effect either way. We don't want to roll something out to everyone and then find that it does backfire in some other way, that when we take the stickers away, they no longer practice at all or something. But I think because it's such a low incentive and we're not really placing any value on those stickers, we're not saying every five stickers on your piece equals a gold coin. We're just saying... Hey, put a sticker on your piece every time you play it. The end. I don't think it's going to have a pitfall. But yeah, those are my little test subjects. Mary, I also have some students who play it wrong three times instead of thinking about whether they've played it the way we did at lessons, even though I also sent home a video of them playing it properly. Okay, so that's a, that's a different issue, isn't it? It's not that they don't want to or don't get that they're supposed to repeat things. It's that they're not invested in how it should sound. So that's what I would look at addressing Mary. Why? Do they not think the piece sounds cool? You know? Or are they a student who just is really ungritty and can't stick to something when it feels hard? In which case, more practice in the lesson is usually the way to do that. Or more practice steps suggested at home. So it's that they do this first, then this, then this. And it breaks down the steps and makes it easier. Does that make sense? That is what I think about there. Because I have had students like that occasionally who don't seem to care what it sounds like, that is a separate issue to me that you need to address. It's not even a practice issue. It's a caring about music issue. More listening, more making sure they love the sound of their pieces. So I left a couple of questions in there from the YouTube Live. I hope they made sense. I think in the context they did and they were useful bits of information. So I thought I'd leave them in here for you on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's show and that you'll join us back here next week. Same time, same place. If you liked this episode, you would absolutely love Viper Music Teaching Membership. We have the support and the training you need to take your teaching further. Join us today by going to vmt.ninja and signing up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.